We're in the middle of a series called Notably Different. And what we're talking about is the idea that 2020 was a notably different year than every other year in modern history. And I don't have to tell you why. It's because of the pandemic and the shutdowns and the divisiveness. And it's been a really, it was a really hard year. But what we're saying is, is that 2021 can also be a notably different year. But we can choose why it's notably different. So we've been asking ourselves this question, who will I be in 2021? Who am I going to be this year? And in, the, in one of the first messages of the year, we actually said that this could be the best year of your life if it's the best year of your life spiritually. So maybe the greater question for us today is this one. How will I grow spiritually in 2021? What am I going to do this year to make it notably different? Because I think we've all realized that over the past year, our faith got tested. And in many cases, it was found wanting. A lot of us were hungry for a faith that's, that's sturdier and stronger this year. Look at what author and theologian Richard Foster wrote. He said, perhaps somewhere in the subterranean chambers of your life, you have heard the call to deeper, fuller living. You've become weary of frothy experiences and shallow teaching. Every now and then you have, you've caught glimpses, hints of something more you have known. Inwardly, you long to launch out into the deep. The desperate need today is not for a greater number of intelligent people or gifted people, but for deep people. See, I think Richard Foster, he was right. And I think that for many of you watching right now, you sense this, you feel this way. We need people like this. And at the risk of offending you here this morning, if I could be a little blunt, consumer-driven Christians aren't gonna be the ones that are gonna make a significant difference in our culture. Nor will the, the overconfident believer with nothing deeper than a the pithy one-liner that's made for the gram. Nor will the unfortunate caricature of the politicized American Christian. No, we need to be able to meet the rising demands of our culture. And to do that, you and I have got to continue in our spiritual growth. We've got to strengthen the spiritual muscles of our inner life. We have to increase the level of our spiritual discipline. <laughs> Some of you are like, whoa, hey man, Super Bowl Sunday. Just trying to make it through the day here. Not sure I need all this. Not sure I need spiritual disciplines. That sounds a little intimidating. But actually, spiritual disciplines, they're exactly what you need to make it through this day and every day. So if we're gonna be notably different, our spiritual habits have to be different. If we're gonna be notably different this year, our spiritual habits have to be different. And the good news is that Jesus has already provided every way for us to do this. So I want you to take, I want you to take a look at that word with me, way. Through the scriptures, I want you to look at it. Let's start here in Matthew chapter three, verse one. Here's what it says. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is, this is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So this is a prophecy. And actually it appears in all four gospels. And it's talking about the way of the Lord. In the original language, that word way, it, it means just that. It means way. It means a road. It means path. It means a journey that you go on. But of course, it's also become kind of a word picture for for living our lives a specific way. It's the journey that we take as we try to grow and mature and, and live life really well. And actually it's used by Matthew and then in the New Testament over 100 times and I'm pretty sure it's used 62 times uh, with Jesus himself. And so look at this other passage in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. It says, enter by the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way 
is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. See, for Jesus, there are a couple different ways to live. One way is broad and there's lots of people on it and actually everybody on that path, well, it doesn't end very well. And the second way, well, it's pretty narrow and it's the way that leads us to life. Look at Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. The rabbis, they looked at Jesus and they saw him as a teacher of the way, a teacher of the way of God, showing people the way that God intended humans to live and to thrive and to flourish. So Acts actually uses it the same, uses, <laughs> Acts uses this same word, the way to describe us, to describe the church. Here it is in Acts 19.23. About that time there arose a great disturbance about the way. Now, if you're a Star Wars fan like me, you're hearing a great disturbance in the way. But don't, don't hear that. Just bypass that. There was a great disturbance about the way. Before we were referred to as Christians, we were called followers of the way. And these are just a few of the many times that the way is used throughout the Scripture. So what I'm trying to tell you is this isn't just a neat word picture that's found in the Scriptures. Like, this is actually a major theme that runs throughout the Bible, and it highlights something that I fear many of us, we may have lost sight of. And that is this, that the way of Jesus is a way of life. The way of Jesus is a way of life. It's not all about theology or doctrine or a set of ideas that we're just trying to believe. It's not about our ethical or moral behavior or, or a list of do's and don'ts. No, it's, it's a lifestyle and we love to talk about theology and belief and doctrine. We like to argue, and it's, and it's good to wrestle. It's just that that's actually not how you follow Jesus. It's a part, but it's not how you follow Jesus. The lifestyle, lifestyle is where it's at. Because Jesus, he wants to give you life. Look at these in John chapter 5, verse 24. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me, he has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. Look at John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal, steal and kill and destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus has given us life. And he's given us life to the full, but how do we get that life? Well, we believe in Jesus, but that word belief, it can throw us off a little bit. It's not just about uh, intellectual assent. Actually, that word belief, it means that we put our trust into. It means that we commit to. It means that we give ourselves over to. So we believe, yes, but we actually, we follow Jesus. We follow in his way. That's how you get his life. The way to experience the life of Jesus is to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus. I mean, think about it. Your life is the way it is because of your lifestyle, right? The, your daily routines kind of make up your schedule. So, so the, how much you weigh and how much muscle you have, that's determined by your lifestyle. The, your body shape, that's, that's determined by the way that you eat, your lifestyle. How much money you have in the bank, that's your lifestyle. How you spend your time, all these things, they are the things that make up your life. And so Jesus' invitation, it's still the same as it was then for you and for me. He says, come and follow me. 
Come and adopt my overall style of life. Pattern your life after my life and you will experience true life that I offer. Actually, this is what it means to be a disciple. <laughs> We're a little uncomfortable with that word. We get a little nervous when we start using the disciple word. We're okay with the word Christian, but uneasy with disciple. And actually, the two can be very different. Because most people think, well, a Christian, they're the one who believes in God. Uh, they go to church whenever it's convenient, you know, show up every, every month or so. Generally, I'm doing my best just to live a good life. That's a Christian. And if we're really honest, in America, it might be a little bit more about Jesus following you than you following Jesus. Because right? we pray prayers like, Jesus, help me have a good day. Would you answer a prayer here and there and, and do what I need from you today? But this whole thing, it's a foreign idea to Jesus and the New Testament. Because if you look to the New Testament, you see that you have the disciples, but not just 12 disciples. There are actually many disciples, and there's men and women and young and old. And then you have a crowd of followers. This is kind of a literary distinction, and it forces us to ask the question, which one of these do I belong to? Am I a disciple, or am I in the realm of the, the crowd just kind of following loosely behind. Here's what, here's what Dallas Willard is a pastor, author, theologian. Here's what he says. The greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs, like everything going on in our world, he says the greatest thing is whether those who are identified as Christians will become disciples, students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live life in, of the kingdom, of the heavens into every corner of human existence. Here's the thing. Jesus, he doesn't want converts to Christianity. Jesus is looking for disciples. It's time to make our peace with that term, disciple. It's not just for those people who are really serious. It's not just for the people who are young in faith and they need to learn a little bit more. No, neither one of those is, definitions is correct. All of us as followers of Jesus are called to be disciples, lifelong learners, in the ways of Jesus. And actually, I think that's a more helpful term for what a disciple really is, you know? This idea here, it's really more like being an apprentice. This is a great word for it. We're called to be apprentices to Jesus. Because if you think about it, what does an apprentice actually do? An apprentice follows behind, watches, and starts to do what their master is doing. There's a church called Bridgetown in Portland, a pastor named John Mark Comer, brilliant place, wonderful, wonderful place, doing great work. And here's what they say. They talk about this idea of being an apprentice, and I found it to be so inspiring, and I wanted to share it with you. Because they talk about being a disciple. Essentially, it means just a few things. It means, one, that you want to be with Jesus. This means that through your day, you are doing everything that you can just to focus your attention, just to draw back to him. And when there's distraction, you return to him again. Your mind always goes back to him throughout the day. Call it whatever you will. Prayer without ceasing, practicing the presence of God. Basically, you're just developing an overall awareness of the presence of God around you all the time. You're growing in intimacy and relationship with him. And I'm just telling you, if you're new to one chapel, if you're new to Jesus, this is the place to start. Get away with him. Spend some time with him. Pray. Seek him. Read the word. This is the place to start. Be with Jesus. But they also say that we want to become like Jesus. I want to be more like him. Uh, this is about who you're becoming, 
who you really are, how you treat people, what your relationships are like. And you might call it spiritual formation or you might call it emotional intelligence or just your, your character, but it means that through practice and through the community of faith and through the work of the Spirit in you, you are becoming more like Jesus. You're becoming the true human that God destined for you to be. And then you do what Jesus did. If you're, think about it, if you're an apprentice or a plumber, if you're an apprentice to a plumber, what do you want to do? You want, you want to learn how to plumb a house. If you're a, an apprentice to Jesus, you follow him. You, you do what he did. You are preaching the kingdom. You're eating with sinners. You're healing the sick. You're casting out demons, caring for the poor. You're eating with people that are far from God. And you actually, you go and do all those things that Jesus did. These three things, these categories, be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what Jesus did. These are essentially what it means for us to follow Jesus. And so when you begin to organize your life around those, you begin to experience his life. What I mean is, you actually do this stuff. Like you schedule it, you put it on your calendar, you, you actually go and follow in the ways of Jesus. Dallas Willard says, that you must arrange your days so that you are experiencing deep contentment, joy, and confidence in your everyday life with God. But here's the thing. For sure, it's not an easy road. And actually, the truth is, is that following Jesus, it requires us to have discipline. Really, what we're talking about specifically today is these spiritual disciplines, we don't like this word discipline either, am I right? Like we, we, don't, we don't like this idea. We, we don't like the fa- I don't like to get up early and go for a run. I, I don't want to have to eat the right foods. I, I don't want to go to bed at the right time. I, I don't want to do these things. I don't like that kind of discipline. But here's what Proverbs says in Proverbs 12.1. It says, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but whoever hates correction is, well, is stupid. That's a rough verse, everybody. Here's the thing, discipline, it is this, it's this commitment to a, a life of learning, a life of course corrections. And the scripture says if you don't love learning and, and hate correction, the Bible says, well, we're, we're a little bit foolish and, and possibly, I'm sorry, the Bible, not me, and a little stupid. So you and I, we get to actually choose. Are we gonna look at disciplines as inconveniences or obligations or, or rituals that we have to keep, or do we see them as what they are and can be, which is blessings? I want you to look at what the scripture says about God in Hebrews chapter 12, verses seven through 11. I'm gonna read it in the message version. It says, God is educating you. That's why you must never drop out. He's treating you as dear children. This trouble you're in, it isn't punishment. It's training. The normal experience of children. Only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves. Would you prefer an irresponsible God? We respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us. So why not embrace God's training so we can truly live? While we were children, our parents did what seemed best to them. But God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, discipline, it isn't much fun. Somebody said amen. It always feels like it's, gonna, it's going against the grain. And later, of course, it pays off handsomely for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. What this is saying is that with God, discipleship is actually a relational experience. Hey, it's not that bad. God, he, he educates and, and he, he, through his training, he corrects us through discipline. It says that parents, well, they're just doing what seems best to them, but God is always doing what's best for us. And of course, discipline, it's not fun at first, but always it produces freedom for us in the future. 
So we're talking about spiritual disciplines, these, these practices, these habits, these routines, these rhythms that really help us grow and mature and become like Jesus. And they help us break through our spiritual growth ceiling. They help us become stronger and, and more rooted and more fruitful disciples of the Lord Jesus. Uh, Pastor John Ortberg, he says that spiritual discipline is any activity that can help me gain power to life as Jesus taught and modeled it. And so actually there's a famous book called Celebration of Discipline and it lists out all these spiritual disciplines. And I wanna encourage you, they're there in your message notes, I wanna encourage you to start praying about thinking about and adding these to your life. Things inward disciplines like meditation and prayer and fasting and study. There are outward disciplines like simplicity and solitude, submission, service, corporate disciplines for us together as the church, confession and worship and guidance and celebration. Beautiful things and disciplines that help us be more like Jesus. And it's quite a list, isn't it? These habits, these practices, they're what help us live out our faith in the way of Jesus. And so I just wanna encourage you to begin to read and add these disciplines to your life. But there's, there's more actually than just habits and practices. There is something deeper here. And that is this. I want you to realize that following Jesus, it takes practice. Recently, we finished a journey through the Sermon on the Mount. Some of you did that journey with us. But the Sermon on the Mount, it is Jesus' manifesto for living in the kingdom of God. It is his description of being a disciple. And when you read it, you realize, oh man, this guy, he set the bar really, really high for me. Like Jesus says, don't worry. Okay, how's that working out? Like, I'm, I'm not that good at it. Jesus says, turn the other cheek. Well, I... I don't know if I can do that. I mean, really, it feels like it's such a high bar that we're, we're tempted to just write it all off. Look, Jesus, I don't know if I can do that. Oh, <laughs> silly Jesus, you don't understand what it's like to live in 2021. I mean, do you know that we have a pandemic? The answer is yes, he does. But, but when we say that, we miss something. He begins and he ends the Sermon on the Mount. This instruction, he begins and closes it with practice. Look at it, Matthew chapter 5, 19. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Did you see it? Practices. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. But that's not all. He actually closes it in verse 24 of Matthew 7. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into, there it is, practice. Is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus says, hey, look, if you take everything that I just said and you put it to practice in your life, your life is gonna go well. But at the end, he says, but if you hear all of this and you don't put it into practice, well, your life is gonna fall with a great crash. A great crash. And actually, he just ends the sermon right there, like it's over. Imagine if I did that. Hey, everybody, you don't do what Jesus says and put it to practice. You're gonna end with a great crash. We'll see you later. It would be ridiculous. There's no way that I could do that. He ends right there. Jesus wants you to know this way of life in Matthew 5 through 7, it's gonna take practice. We so quickly think, I can't do this. I'm not a good disciple. I don't know how I'm gonna do it. But listen, following Jesus is not about trying. It is about training. This is really important. I want you to hear this today. So let's just say maybe you're a little out of shape and a little bit overweight. It's not too hard for some of us to imagine. And you decide, I'm gonna go run a marathon. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna run 26.2 miles. And so first, I'd like to recommend that you go get therapy because who wants to do that? I don't, I don't have any idea. I'm kidding, I'm kidding, good for you. 
But how do you do it? How do you go about running a marathon? Well, there's a couple ways. One way is you just lace up your shoes, you carbo load on some fettuccine Alfredo, and you go do it. And then you die. You get a mile in and you just die. Or maybe you take a trainer to go with you and so you're, you're on the road and maybe you make it three, four, maybe five miles, but then you die. Like you, you can't do it. There's a second way though, and that is, is that you just start to train and you run a mile. And the next day you run a mile and a half or maybe you run two miles and then you, you take a day off and then you come back and you you run a mile, a mile and a half, two miles, take a break, then two and a half miles, three miles, and four miles, and it's so hard. And you have really good days where you're just crushing it. And then you have really bad days, but you just, you keep going, you keep practicing. And over a long period of time, through your practice, through your training, you realize, I'm up to 20 miles. I'm at 22, 25, 26.2 miles. And you look back and you realize that you have become the kind of person that can run a marathon. Oh, it's hard. And it'll always be hard. But you can do it. Listen, if you want to follow Jesus, you have to practice. You have to train. 1 Timothy 4, 7 through 8 says, Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value. Oh, I love this verse, everybody. I don't got to exercise. It's great. That's not what it means. Physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. See, spiritual discipline, it's about training yourself in, it's about training yourself in godliness, not just trying to be godly. It's not about your moral or religious conduct. It's more about exercises and drills and consistency. See, training is about practice. Training is about pacing and continuing where trying is more about punishment when you fail and pressure when you don't measure up what if we just stopped trying so hard to be godly and we just started to focus on training what would that look like well it would look like the, the way of jesus the practices of jesus it would look like these spiritual disciplines one way to get rid of lust is to just try really hard to just try to do the best you can. But another way is to wake up in the morning and rather than going to your phone, to spend some time in prayer. To put your phone in the nightstand drawer and just spend some time in worship and prayer. And then you fast for your lunch break. And while you're fasting during your lunch break, you take a little walk around the block. And you say, you whisper a prayer to the Lord. Maybe on, on the weekend, you take a Sabbath and you rest and you stop producing and you worship God and you delight in him. And, and then on Sunday, you, you go to church and you connect with your church family and, and you give in the offering. And then, and then you, you have dinner with your group during the week and you find accountability there in that community. And you open up your life to the spirit through all of this and he begins to transform you. You see it? You take on Jesus' overall way of life and Jesus' life, it starts moving through you. I like how Richard Foster said this. He said, spiritual disciplines, they can't really do anything. Like, like this is not the point, spiritual discipline in and of itself. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. And so I just wanna challenge you, I wanna encourage you Take that list of spiritual disciplines in your message notes. Look up the Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster and start doing it today. 
Start adding those to your life. Start living in the way of Jesus and stop trying so hard to be godly and start training and watch how the Spirit transforms your life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've provided everything that we need for life and godliness. And today, we are asking you to fill us, to help us, to encourage us, to help us to live the life that you're calling us to live. God, there are so many of us dealing with difficulty and pressure and stress, and we feel like we're failing, but you have provided a way for us. And so we ask that you would help us to stop trying to rest in your spirit and to allow you to start to train us, to give us discipline. We pray that you would show us the path that you want us to take and help us to walk in your way and experience more of your life and kingdom. God, we ask you to do this today in us as individuals, in our church family, and help us to be more like you. Experience more of your life and share it with others. We love you so much, and we ask all of this in the mighty and wonderful and powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Hey, everybody, I want to encourage you to go for it this week. Enjoy it. I believe that God's got some great things for you. Thanks so much for being here today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Go in peace and have a great Sunday.